16 today. John, I apologize. I made a mistake on my notes. I know that I told you to start with verse 1, but I actually want to start with verse 16, if you don't mind. Pastors make mistakes too, amen? It wouldn't have been bad, though. I would have just been giving you more word and, and not less word, amen? But I need to drop down to verse 16, if you don't mind, as we start today. I have thoroughly enjoyed preaching this series of messages about our chain breaker. Aren't you glad that Jesus is indeed a chain breaker? That there's nothing too difficult for him, nothing too hard. Doesn't matter what you face in your life, he has the authority over it. And just like this, he can break the chains that have held you for so long. And I'm so thankful for that today. Today I want to conclude this series by going to Acts chapter 16 and reading for you and preaching about one, what probably is one of the most well-known passages of Scripture in the Bible. Uh, if you've hung around church much at all through the years, you've heard somebody preach about this story. But I want us to look at it today. We're not going to get theologically intense today. I'm just going to give you a couple of observations that I think will practically help you through any kind of situation that you're facing that may be holding you in bondage today. So let's play, pay close attention to the Word of God and what it has to say to us today. Beginning in chapter 16, verse 16, it says, As we were going to the place of prayer... We were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. And she followed Paul and us crying out, these men are servants of the most high God. And uh, I'm, I'm sorry, I lost my place. Who proclaimed to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. And Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, and they dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. And the crowd joined in attacking them. And the magistrates tore the garments off of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. And having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. And about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. 
And the prisoners were listening to them, and suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. And when the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, and he said, Do not harm yourself, or we are are all here. And the jailer called for the lights, and he rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas, and he brought them out, and he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house, and he took them the same hour of the night, and he washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all of his family, and he brought them up into his house. And set food before them. They were church of God. Amen. (laughs) And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Father, thank you for your word today. I, I pray that you'll help me to be able to effectively speak. To say what needs to be said today in a manner that your people might be able to receive it. And that they might be able to receive the chain-breaking move in their life that will bring freedom to them this day and so that they can anticipate living from this day forward in the freedom that comes in being a believer in Jesus Christ. Now, Lord, speak to us today. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen and amen. As I've already mentioned, this is a very familiar passage of Scripture In fact, I noticed that even as I was reading it, those of you who have been in Pentecostal churches, full gospel, you even knew where the shouting points were. Because when I read it, it kind of rose up in you and you, you just, you couldn't be quiet. You had to say, oh, praise the Lord. That man, that's good news right there. That's, that's where we normally shout right there. And it just, it started working in you and rising up in you and coming up in you. It's because we're so familiar with this passage of Scripture and the freedom that comes when we believe that Jesus Christ is our chain breaker. Today, I, I, as I've already said, I don't intend to get theologically intense because here's what I believe. I, I believe that there are many in this house today that throughout this series that we've been preaching about chains and and breaking free from our chains, there has been a particular thing that you've dealt with for a long time in your life. And what you're not looking for today is some theological treaty. What, What you are looking for is relief from the chains that have bound you today. And so today in very practical terms... I want to share with you a couple of observations that I believe will help you. And I believe that before you leave this house today, 
that it will connect with you and your spirit in such a way that you'll be able to lay your chains right down here in this altar and walk out of here today as free as a bird. Amen. So today, let's get started. I'm ready. The first thing that I want you to see from this passage of Scripture is that it is, it is important that we do what we can do. That you do what you can do. Now, we spend far too much time trying to change things that are outside of our ability to change. I said to somebody just the other day, they were asking me about a particular situation, and I said, it is what it is. I said, I don't know what it is that you would want me to do because I have no power or no authority over that situation. I cannot make that person, that individual, make a different choice than they have made. I wish I could. I wish as a pastor that I could go to people and say, by the authority vested in me as your pastor, I demand that you stop doing that and that you stop saying that and that you quit going there and that you quit acting like that. And the next time that I see you acting like that and doing those things in your life, I promise you, uh, I'm going to take you out to the woodshed and turn you over my lap and spank your backside. I really don't wish I had that authority. I don't want to do that. But there are times that I just kind of look at people with this puzzled look and, and it's kind of like, really? I mean, you're expecting a different result, but you are doing things that you know are going to continue to bring that particular result in your life. And people say, well, if I could just get them to change their opinion, if I could just get them to stop doing this, if I could just get my boss to see things my way, if I could just get my wife or my husband to do things the way that I want them to do, then all of the things that surround me would be wonderful. But listen, you can't make your husband change. And you can't make your wife change. And you can't make your boss change. And let me just go ahead and tell you that if you are dating somebody who is not a believer in Jesus Christ, listen closely to me. Don't come to me with this, this line that says, well, I like them. I love them. I want to have them. And it doesn't matter to me that they're not saved yet because I'll work on them after we get married. Listen, if they're not already a believer, then you need to go the other direction as quickly as you can. You say, well, what if they get saved next week? Then say to them for the next two years, you're going to be proven to me that you really decided to follow Christ and not just make a decision because you want me to be your spouse. Now, none of that was in my notes. It was all free. So if it hit you between the eyes today, that was a word from the Lord for you. You might as well take it. 
Listen, what you need more than anything in your life is not someone who will drag you down when the going gets tough, but you need someone in your life that will lift you up and encourage you with the word of the Lord and with the power of the Holy Spirit flowing in them because there will be difficulties. There will be hard times. There will be tough days. And in those moments, you've got to get to a place where you have someone who is encouraging and edifying and lifting you up. You have to do what you can do. Now listen, Paul and Silas could not fight back against the angry mob. They were outnumbered. They could not reason with the unreasonable religious zealots. Have you ever tried to reason with somebody who is unreasonable? It can't be done. They could not stop the beating. They could not say to them, don't hit me one more time. They had no power to do that. They had no one to appeal to legally at that moment. They could not sign a a petition and pass it around to other people and ask for their support. They could not physically overpower the prison guard, and they could not unlock the chains. They could not craft a plan to escape from the prison that they were in. They had no power to accomplish any of those things. A few years ago, there was a movie that came out in a book that was written called The Count Count of Monte Cristo. How many of you have ever seen that? Man, all the girls' hands went up in a hurry. It's because it's because of Jim Caviezel and how sexy he was in the movie, right? I've heard that story a hundred times, but listen, I've looked at him and I've seen myself, and he ain't no better than I am. He played the character named Edmund Dantes, and he was a handsome, promising young sailor who skillfully docked a a ship when the captain had passed away. And when he kept while they were on the voyage, and when they got there, the owner of the vessel said, I'm going to give you your own captainship. But that that elevated him above some very jealous men. And you know that those men crafted and designed a plan to have him arrested and put on an island, the Chateau d'If. And and he was put there and and he was expected to to just die there. And no one would know that he was there. And he was there for many years and almost lost his mind because he was there alone in isolation. And then one day, Something happened that changed his destiny. He began to hear as if someone was digging underneath the floor that his head was resting on. And so he removed one of the blocks and he started digging until finally he found that there was another prisoner that had been there all those years just a stone's throw away. And they began to, uh, they, they connected in their tunnel and they began to plan their escape. The old man began to tell him about some riches that he was aware of that had belonged to an old rich Italian family and how that when they got out, they would find the riches and and they would spend the rest of their life rich and having everything that they needed. But the only problem was the old man died. And when the old man died, Dante's had to to crawl 
underneath into, into the cell next door and he sewed himself into the old man's uh, burial cloth. And, and when they came and they took his body out, Dantes was actually in the burial cloth. And he was freed, and he was able to find the money, and he lived the rest of his life rich. And when he appeared in public again, he was known as a man by the name of the Count of Monte Cristo. By the way, he got even with everybody that he needed to get even with. Uh, but, you know, that's another sermon for another day. And you say, no, pastor... Why are you telling us about Dante's? Why are you telling us about the, uh, the Count of Monte Cristo? Well, I'm telling you this for one reason. You are not him. You don't have the options many times to escape the prison that you are in. You know, they can do anything when they're writing a book and they can create any kind of storyline when they are making a movie. But for real people like you and me, there are circumstances and situations that we find ourselves in and we have no options whatsoever. We cannot pull the trigger and make it different. We, we cannot change the plan and suddenly wake up one day and be out of bondage. We find ourselves in a place where if God does not deliver us, then we are not going to be delivered. We live in what I like to call a MacGyver world. We, we've been told by all of, all of the faith preachers that there's no situation that you can't overcome. And, and that's true to a degree. But they always leave out the part about how that we have to consider eternity. How then we have to consider that the scripture says it is appointed unto man wants to die and then the judgment. We, we forget that there is an eternity where our life goes on. Life is not always easy in the flesh. We think that we're MacGyver. You know, years ago they had a MacGyver, and now they have a new MacGyver. Once again, they had to select some young, sexy guy who can reach into his pocket and pull out an ink pen and save the world. MacGyver can take an ink pen like that and look at it and say, I can make a nuclear bomb out of that. I watched an episode the other night, and I thought it was very interesting to me because the enemy was this lady who was after them and going to kill them, and she had been injured so many times that her body was full of metal. She had steel rods in her feet. She had steel rods in her knees. She had steel rods in her hips. She had steel rods in her arms. She just had metal in her in her breast. She had metal everywhere. And so MacGyver decided the only way that we're going to get away from her is I'm going to have to make that truck become a magnet. And so he began to work on the truck and he did this and he did that and he reached into his pocket and he said, you know, I, I always knew that there'd come a day when that would come in handy and would help me get out of this. And he, and he did his thing. And when the lady, sure enough, walked around the corner and into the direct line of that truck, she reached for her gun and she was going to shoot MacGyver and all of the others. But before she could get a shot off, that magnet got her and she went all the way across the room. And the next time you see her, she is absolutely spread out against that truck.
MacGyver. All things are possible with MacGyver, correct? Well, can I just bust your bubble this morning and tell you that it's just not that way. There are situations that you cannot change. There are people that you cannot change. There are days that you're just going to have to say it is what it is and there's nothing that I can do about it. But God, I know that you are able to do what needs to be done in this situation, even if all that is, uh, is to give me the strength uh, and the courage uh, to see it through. Amen. See, we got to do what we can do. We spend far too much time being frustrated over things that are humanly unalterable. Let me say that again. We spend far too much time being frustrated over things that are humanly unalterable. We think if there's a way I can do it, if there's a way that I can get an answer, if there's a way I can get some wisdom, but there are times that you just have to say, God, I have no power over this. God, I have no wisdom here. I have no knowledge here. I have no authority. I'm not positioned. I'm not in a place where I can change this. But God, I trust in you and I believe uh, that you are able to get me from where I am to where I need to be. You see, the Count of Monte Cristo story was not a feasible expectation for Paul and Silas. Silas couldn't look over and say, you know, I hear that in the future there's going to be a book written about the Count of Monte Cristo and a movie made, so why don't we just go ahead and start working on that right now? Why don't we just go ahead and start digging why don't we go ahead and start pulling on these chains? Why don't we go ahead and start struggling right now? Why don't we go ahead and cut our wrists and cut our hands off so that we can slip those things off of our, our nubs? Why don't, why don't we just take matters into our own hands? But instead, they did what they could do. What was it that they did? I'm glad you asked. They prayed. And they worshiped. Oh, pastor. I get so tired of preachers just telling me to pray. I just get tired of preachers telling me to worship through it. Just worship your way through it. Just pray your way through it. Just read the word through it. Well, let me tell you that that is the most effective thing that you can do. We, we look at prayer as a last resort. We, we look at prayer and worship as an end of the week thing. So we start on Monday. We go to work and we have a bad day on Monday. And then we go on Tuesday and we have a bad day on Tuesday. And then the spouse makes, it, makes us mad on Wednesday. And it all piles up. And now we're getting really upset. And then Thursday comes along and we get a little bit of a break. But then some knucklehead comes in and ruins the day. And then Friday, we're all freaked out over something that has to take place. The boss comes in on Friday afternoon and says, next week is going to be hell around here. And I just wanted you to go ahead and get used to the idea that next week uh, is going to be the worst week uh, that you've ever had at work in this place of employment. 
Then you go home and you lay down on the couch and you say, oh God, next week is going to be so bad. I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it or not. I think I just need to have a nap and, and just get my head out of this world. Oh God. Oh God, you've got to help me overcome next week. It hasn't happened yet, but it's already destroying my faith. Oh God. And then it's like, but tomorrow's church day. Tomorrow's church day. I can go tomorrow and I can pray about all that happened. I can come in here and if they sing that one song, oh God, it'll give me chill bumps. And I'll start feeling, I'll start feeling that. And then, and then I'll be able to stand up. Nobody will have to ask me. I'll just, I'll just raise my hand. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. Hallelujah. Give me more, Jesus. Give me more. Give me, give me more. Give me oil in my lamp. Keep it burning, burning, burning. Give me oil in my lamp. I pray. Give me oil in my lamp. Keep it burning, burning, burning. Keep it burning till the break of day. And we pray and we want to worship after the fact. And what we ought to do is come in here on Sunday and say, all right, I can't do a thing about last week. I can't change what happened. I can't change that idiot and what they said. I can't change a thing. But I'll tell you what I can change. I can change me. And I'm going to the house of the Lord today not to get over what happened to me last week, but I'm going to church today to set the stage for what's going to happen this week in my life. And devil, I'm telling you right now, you better get yourself ready because you thought you had me last week, but you don't have me. I'm already preparing for what I'm gonna, how I'm going to respond next week. And, and I'm ready. the joy of the Lord is in my soul. Now, I'm going to get up every morning and realize uh, that I have every resource that I need through Jesus Christ to overcome every situation that I will face. And I'm going to do what I can do today to prepare for what the devil has me in the future. Do what you can do. Look at your neighbor and say, you better get busy doing what you can do. And then the next thing I want you to see is that you've got to let God do what he can do. Stop trying to be God. Just punch your neighbor and say, it's time for you to stop trying to be God. You may have his spirit living in you, but you're not God. God is God. Well, I wish I could sing that old song they used to sing years ago. I know God is God, and he always will be God. I know God is God. Yes, he always will be God. That's all I know of it. But there are days I have to sing that. There are days I have to get up and say, God, if not for you, I'm not going to make it today. But I've already made up my mind that since you are God and you are able to do exceeding abundantly above all that I ask or I think according to the power that works in me, then I'll just go ahead today and say, God is going to be God in my life today. Here's the problem that we have with this is that when we let God do what God can do, it requires you to trust him. Yeah. 
It, it requires you to put everything in his hands. Sadly, in my life, I have experienced that too many people give in to doubt and choose to abandon their faith just before the chain-breaking moment occurs. Do you need me to say that again or do you have it? Because you've got to, you've got to not... You've got to make up your mind right now. I ain't quitting. I don't care how bad it looks. I don't care how bad it feels. I don't care. I'm not quitting because I know that somewhere down the road, uh, my chain breaker is going to show up. I know that somewhere down the road, my God is going to show up and be God in my life. And so I'm not giving up. I'm not quitting. I don't care what you do. God, I'm not going to get mad at you if things aren't done the way that I think they ought to be. I've just made up my mind and I've committed today uh, that I am not going to give up. In those moments, when you feel like you're ready to give up, that's when you need to lift your eyes and start looking for the answer to come your way. God knows when he needs to activate circumstances around you. You see, they, I believe they went to the word to bolster their faith. The scripture says that they were singing hymns. The scripture says they were praying. The scripture says that they were worshiping. I don't know. I think they were looking back through history and they were thinking about how God saw Abraham through and, and brought that dream to pass and how, how he used Moses and gave Moses the ability to deliver his people. I believe that they remembered when Joseph was in prison, how that God gave him a, a, an, an opportunity to get out and, and God worked on his behalf. I believe they probably thought back on Daniel who was thrown in a den of life. Lions, And yet, when they went to get him the next day, they looked down in there and discovered that his body was intact uh, and he had not been eaten. I don't even know if he'd been licked. Amen. How many of you have a dog uh, that likes to lick you? I mean, they'll lick you on the hand, lick you on the face, lick you on the neck, lick your big toes when you take your shoes off. I don't know. I think those, those lions must have been turned into dogs and they just licking old Daniel and just saying, we love you, man. Don't worry about us. It's going to be okay. We're not here to hurt you. We're here to help you. I know it may not seem like that to you in the flesh, but we're God-ordained lions. We're not demonic lions. We didn't come to hurt you. We came to help you today. Amen. And I don't know. They somehow just built their faith and he was encouraged and, and, and Daniel was saved. And, the, and then you know about the three Hebrew boys in the fire. They started talking about it probably. You know, you know they were in prison and somehow Jesus came right into where they were. And, and when they looked and said, there's not three, there's four. One's like the son of God. And they came out and they didn't even have the smell of smoke on their clothing. I, I believe somehow. They just started saying to one another, I don't know how this is going to turn out, but I know that God is able to do what needs to be done in this situation. So why don't we just start praising him? And why don't we just start glorifying him? And why don't we just start worshiping him? And why don't we just start giving him his place in our lives uh, and let God be God? Amen. Amen. Now, they weren't stupid. They knew that John the Baptist was in prison too. And they cut John the Baptist's head off in prison. So they knew that bad things can happen to good people. But they also know that the instant 
that John the Baptist's head rolled off into the floor, he was in the presence of Jesus Christ. For to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Listen, let me tell you, for the child of God, when the very worst thing comes at you that the enemy can throw at you, you still have a God who is greater than your circumstances and will provide what you need. Amen. You see, with God, nothing shall be impossible. That's what the Word says. So if an earthquake is needed to shake things up, then he can send an earthquake. If steel bars need to be twisted open, then God is able to speak the word and twist those steel bars. If iron shackles that are embedded into the concrete walls need to be loosed, then God is able to speak that into existence. I can say if, 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 if all day long. But the answer to every if, if, if that you have is God, 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 God. You say if all day long, just as long as you respond back and say, God, 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 God. I've been to the doctors today and they said, if, 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 come on and help me or I'll preach all day. If, 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 if. And I just say, God, 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 God. My husband came in and acted like a fool today and I started saying, if, 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 if. And the Spirit of the Lord spoke into me and said, God, 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 God. I'm telling you, we have got to get our minds off of the if of what the enemy might do and remember that God is able to do everything in our life that is necessary we've got to do what we can do which for them was praying and worshiping and honoring God even before the answer came and then we have to get to the place where we let God do what he can do And then there's one final thing that we've got to learn how to do. We have to accept accept God's resolution. I mean, how many of you have ever had a situation in your life where you had an expectation that a particular thing was going to happen? You even went so far as to say, I believe I have a word from the Lord on this. This is what I think. This is what I believe. And you started trusting for that. And you started believing that. And you started started rearranging your life for that. And then God steps into the situation and does something totally different than what you had expected. And your first response was, I don't like that very much. God, I thought this was going to happen. God, I, I thought this. God, I've been living with this expectation. And God said, if you'll just pay real close attention to what I have done, you will understand that what I have done is better for you than what you were expecting. And it brought about an eternal purpose that you hadn't even thought about. That's what happened with Paul and Silas. Think about it. They're in jail. 
And Paul and Silas, because of God's movement in the situation, created an atmosphere where not only were they free, but everyone else was free too. The prisoners heard the good news about Jesus Christ. Scripture tells us that. They're praying. They're worshiping. They're talking about how good God is. And the scripture very clearly says, and the prisoners heard it. I didn't intend to preach here, but I'm, gonna, I'm just going to pause just for a minute. Is that okay? The way you respond in your difficult moments will, beyond any shadow of a doubt, affect those who are around you. You will either cause them to not believe or you can cause them to believe based on your faith. You say, well, what if I have, what if I have a spouse that's not saved? Maybe I went ahead and did that and I shouldn't have, but I did. I married somebody who is not a believer. Can I go ahead and divorce them because I made a mistake? Can I just go ahead and say, I'm going to put them out of my life because I made a bad decision? No. Because the Bible says that if you will remain with them and live in the Spirit, who knows? But your life might be the testimony that will ultimately turn them to Jesus Christ. So now your focus must change. Your focus can't be about finding a way to get out. Your focus must be about finding a way to sow into them the words of the Spirit and a life that recognizes Jesus as Lord and represents Him in every situation that you face. Because who knows? You could be the one and most likely will be the one to see them come to Jesus Christ. So let me just say to you that God will work in you to touch other people. The prison guard and his entire household were saved and baptized. Think about this, the prisoner, the, the prison guard, the one who was responsible for chaining them to the wall, the one who represented the wounds on their backs, the one who was a part of the system that caused them to be beaten and responsible for the pain that they were feeling in their bodies. He took them and the scripture says that he began to wash their wounds. I'm telling you this week when I read that as many times as I've studied this passage of scripture, I thought, oh my goodness. That means we must be willing to forgive the very individual that was responsible for causing our pain. Can 
I tell you that it never gets easier when you're walking with Christ because just when you think I've got this level nailed boom how many of you have ever played video games anybody you get the thing you play for days boom 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 and you get to the end and you beat the level oh hallelujah I beat the level I'm ready to go to the next level. And you go to the next level, and what happens? The next level is more difficult than the level that you just beat. But if you stay with it, you can beat that level too. And if you hang in there, you can beat the next level after that. And if you hang in there, you can beat the next level. What am I trying to say to you? I'm trying to say, don't give up. If you, if, if, if you got to trust God with the situation, if you have to forgive somebody who has caused pain in your life, forgive them because God will give you the grace to overcome it. He went to his house. They sat down and they began to eat cornbread and muffins, cornbread, beans, cherry pie. I mean, can you make, it's not hard to forgive somebody when they start putting cherry pie in front of you. But he went to his house and he sat down and he had fellowship with the very one who was responsible for his pain. Some of you are going to have to be willing to do that. Here's what happens when we're willing to do it. Here's what happens in the end. Everybody was rejoicing. Everybody was. Everybody was happy. Even Paul and Silas were happy. They'd been in they'd been beaten. They'd been striped. But they were able to see an entire family come to Christ. And everyone was happy, even though they had been chained and shackled in this situation. So what am I saying to you today? I'm saying today you can't afford to let the enemy chain you up in such a way that you can't do what you need to do so that God can then do what God can do so that everyone can be blessed. Will you stand with me this morning? I want the prayer team to come this morning.